Here we go. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. 3, 2, 1. Begin. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Amen. Thanks. Thanks, Peter. Oh, thanks, Peter. And welcome again. Uh, thank you uh, for being here, uh, the faithful remnant, the few uh, who aren't sick or didn't meet someone who was sick or something like that. Uh, really good to have you here today in person, uh, but also for those who are online, uh, hopefully you're staying safe and no one's sick, you're not sick, someone's sick around you. Um, but, you know, the chances are that, you know, we are meeting people who have COVID or, you know, we're close contacts. And so this is really tough times. Uh, it's really important that we're praying um, and that we're putting our hope and trust in God. And I think, like, we didn't time this, obviously, but today's... Uh, theme or topic that I'm going to cover feels so relevant to us, especially as, you know, Sunday attendance becomes hard, as we become, you know, more and more isolated again from other people, uh, the topic of community, right, that's what I'm covering today, uh, is so important. Now, if you haven't been with us, let me just kind of recap uh, where we've been. Um, we're on a three-week series called Fan the Flame, and, you know, the first two weeks I talked about um, the Word and prayer. And the running analogy of this uh, series is fire. When you have fire, you need three things for you know, fire to have the right environment. The three essential elements is you need uh, wood, you need air, and you need some sort of covering to protect it. And I've said in the first week that the word is the wood. Right? It's a fuel for us to burn passionately for Jesus, right? passionate theology. That's one of our values here. The second one is um, prayer. Prayer is the air, right? When we exhale in prayer to God, it's like you're exhaling into the fire and, you know, it brings it alive again. You know, our hearts often come awake when we come before God in honest, raw prayer. And today, we're looking at that third element, which is community. Right? Community is the covering. And so let's look at this today. You know, yesterday, uh, while we were sitting down eating lunch, uh, my father-in-law, so Uni's dad, was over there in the kitchen, and he looked in my direction, and he started shouting, right? He's like, whoa, like in Korean, it was like, whoa, whoa, stop, 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 right? Under, under, or something like that. And, you know, I turned around, like, what's going on? And Zoe was sitting behind me on the floor, um, she was like playing with the PowerPoint, right? Kids, for some reason, they know what's dangerous, and they go straight to it. She was playing with the PowerPoint, and so my father-in-law was, was warning her, right, stop, Right, don't, don't do that, right? It's really dangerous. And then Reuben heard, and so he got off his um, chair, and he's imitating my father-in-law, and he's like, you know, no, no, sorry, no. Right? And he's telling her off, he's, he's trying to warn her. By that time, my father-in-law had come from the kitchen. Now he's sitting next to Zoe and Reuben, and he's trying to explain to her, right? It hurts, right? And she, he grabs her hand, and he puts it near the PowerPoint. I don't know why we do that, but you see, see, ah, ah. Right, he's trying to show her that it hurts if you touch it. And so it's like, you know, she's, she's one and a half years old. She's like, she has no idea, right? And who knows, right? Who knows whether she understood? Uh, all we can do is warn her, right? I feel like that's what I do most of the time as a parent. You're warning your children, right? Don't do that. Don't cross the road, right? See these pedestrian crossings, right? You've got to stop, look left and right. You've know, you got to warn them. But at the end of the day, it's up to them, right? Whether they're going to listen or whether they're not going to listen, 
and they're just going to do what you told them not to do. Right? Maybe they'll end up like this guy in primary school. He was at Catholic church uh, in Bible study, right? This guy. Um, I don't know why I did this, but I was in primary school uh, in Bible study class, and I was sitting next to a PowerPoint, and I must have had two paper clips um, because what I did was I made one of them into a U-shape, and I stuck it into the top two prongs of the PowerPoint, and I got the second one, and I made it into a, a long uh, stick shape. And I stuck it into the bottom one to see what happens, you know, when they touch and you flick it on. But as I was touching it and just about to let go, someone next to me, he, he flicked on the, the PowerPoint switch. Um, he must have hated me, but like I, I instinctively let go. And I don't know if it's placebo. I felt like something run through me. And now I've got superpowers, and no, I'm just joking. I just felt something go through me, and the PowerPoint, uh, it went, and then smoke started to come out of the PowerPoint, right? And I realized I should have told someone, and I probably should have paid for that, and say, <laughs> you can come chase me. Um, but like, if, if I was a second late, I don't even want to think about what would have happened. Right? I, I might not be here. You know, some people listen to the warning, and some people, out of curiosity, maybe stupidity, um, don't listen, right, and they find out the hard way, you know, what might happen. Uh, today's uh, passage is like a big warning. And the question is, today, will you heed the warning like a smart person would and not do uh, what, you know, the person says, right, right, heed it and, and pay attention, or will we, unfortunately, make a mistake you know, and get into a lot of trouble, right? So I've got two points today. The first one we're going to look at is the warning, verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, right? So we've got at the start, take care. That phrase could be like beware and be careful of, right? He really wants us to pay attention. Now, the Word of God, every time we come to the Word of God, we should pay attention, but kind of like uh, special attention when the Word says, you know, pay attention, right? Take care. And uh, the author of Hebrews is addressing Brothers, right? Say, so take care, brothers. The author is addressing the church. Now, the warning is for those who claim to be Christian. For those who say, I'm a follower of Jesus. Uh, maybe, you know, I, I believed in the past about the cross and his blood and the forgiveness of sins. You know, um, you know I've been to church for a long time. I'm committed. You know, maybe people who serve even. Maybe even people in leadership. Right, these are the people that the author of Hebrews is speaking to. Right, he's warning the church. Most likely, he's addressing you, right, if you're a Christian here. And the consequence, I'm just going to jump to the consequence first. The consequence is this. If we don't pay attention, this is what could happen. Verse 12. It would lead you to fall away from the living God. Right, I want us to just sit on that. If you don't pay attention, this thing might lead you to fall away from the living God. Falling away from God is absolutely the worst thing that could ever happen to a Christian. I'm not even exaggerating. If you think about all the bad things that could happen to you in your life, the worst thing, the absolute worst thing that could happen is that you would fall away from God. Because right? a lot of bad things can happen to you right now. You could get COVID. You could get sick. You could lose your job. Maybe you might lose your life. 
all of these things are very tough. They're very bad. But if you have God, you still have hope. Right? If you have God, you still have a solution on the other side. Even if you die, even death is not the final answer. Right? You have eternity after that. But even if you were to keep everything I just named, but you were to lose God, you would have lost everything. You would have lost your hope, your joy, your purpose in life. You would have lost the relationship that you were made for, your relationship with God, and you would have lost eternal life. If you fall away from God, you've lost it all. Right? This is the absolute worst thing that could happen to you. This isn't one of those kind of small you know, warning signs or labels. This is like a big one. Right? This is don't do it, Zoe. Don't stick your finger in the PowerPoint. Right? This is Paul. Don't play around with paper clips. It could get really bad. Right? You, you know, you play around with a PowerPoint, the worst thing could happen is that you might die. Right? It's not something to laugh about. But the author of Hebrews is talking about something that's not just a matter of life and death. Right? This is a matter of eternal life and a matter of eternal death. And so it'll be wise for us to pay attention. Take care. Because if you don't get this right, you might fall away from the living God. And so what is the warning? Here's the warning. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. The warning here in a nutshell is check your heart. Check your heart. Right? Pause. Stop. Look inside and make sure that your heart isn't the kind of heart that is evil or faithless, that is taking you down a path towards sin, disobedience, idolatry. And make sure your heart is a kind of heart that is directed toward God and the things of God. Right? Is your heart pulling you towards sin? Is your heart allowing disobedience and idolatry in your life? Right? Giving space for ungodly things. Are you allowing compromise? Right? Are you disobeying the word and your heart doesn't, isn't moved by it? Right? Check your heart. You see, just because you're a Christian, or just because you've grown up in the church, you've been baptized, you are saved, right? just because you believe once saved, always saved, or the perseverance of the saints, which we do, doesn't mean Christians can be complacent. We believe, right? if you go to verse 14, I didn't put it up there, it basically says, right, you are a Christian if you make it to the end. Right? There are two things that are true. One is, if I'm a Christian, I will make it to the end. Right? That's a true statement. Once saved, always saved. If you're a Christian today, you will make it to the end. But at the same time, you can also say, if I make it to the end, I'm a Christian today. Right? I probably confused you. If you make it to the end, that is kind of the final proof that you are a Christian. And if you don't make it to the end, it doesn't matter what you say right now. It means you're not a Christian at this very moment. And so the author of Hebrews is saying to the church, make sure, check your heart, because you need to make it to the end. This race that we're running, you need to hit the finish line. Because if you don't get to the finish line, it doesn't matter what kind of experiences you, you went through. It doesn't matter if you got a certificate of baptism. If you fall away from God, it shows that you did not have that faith, that confidence in God ever. So be diligent. Check your heart. For those of us who are here, for those of us who are online, for those of us who call ourselves Christians, check your heart. 
Is your heart, does it have evil? And is there unbelief in it? See, we need to be diligent about this because there's two things about sin that I just want to point out from the passage. And the first is that sin is destructive. Verse 13. All right, we're going to come back to the start of verse 13 in the next point. But he says, the author says, make sure that none of you are hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Why is it important that we check our hearts? Because when we sin or we disobey God, it's not just something we do. And we're like, oh yeah, that's something I did, but it's, it doesn't affect me. Right? The passage says that when we sin and we allow sin to remain in our lives, it affects me. And what it does, it says it hardens me. When you allow unrepentant sin in your life, the end result is that it will harden your heart against God. You will grow more apathetic toward God. It will feel like God is more distant to you. You see, we are smarter than we think. We cannot both love the king and not live his way. Right? That's our mission statement. Those are meant to go hand in hand. We love the king, we live his way, they're interconnected. But when we're living a life where we say we love the king, but we don't live his way, we feel that disconnect, right, in our souls. We feel that something's wrong. There's a gnawing in our conscience that says something's not right. We feel the weight, maybe, of hypocrisy when we sit in church. When I say I love the king, but I don't live his way, there is a disconnect. And if I keep that sin in my life, right, if I keep disobeying God, eventually one of these two things will have to change. One of these two things will align to the other. That's what's going to happen. In order for us to live with ourselves, to be okay with my life, one of these two things will have to align. And so I will either, because I love the king, I'll become aware of my sin, my disbelief, the evil that I'm pursuing, and I'll repent for the life that isn't living his way. And I'll align my life again to God, and I will love the king and live his way. Because those things have to go hand in hand. Or, because I've kept sin in my life, my heart will harden against God. And because I'm pursuing a path that isn't living his way, my love for the king will harden. And our hearts will close off to God. We'll turn our backs on him. The word will become dull to us and we'll step away from him. But that's the only way you'll be okay with yourself. Because every time you'll sit in church, you'll feel like a hypocrite. Every time you sin but then go back to the Bible, you'll feel that something's wrong. And you can't live with those feelings in your conscience. You will either turn to God or you'll turn away from Him. And your heart will harden toward Him. That's what people do. They go into the workforce or get into a relationship and they they sin. And the question is, what will you do after you you fail. Will you come back to God or will you keep going down that path? And people turn their backs on each other. Sitting in church is hard, so they leave the church. And from there, it's just a quick step to then leaving the faith and turning from God. This is really important because sin is destructive. It will harden our hearts to a point that we will fall away from God. Now, if sin is this destructive... Why do we as Christians keep it around? 
Right? If, if sinning will harden my heart, and that evil and unbelief inside of me will lead me to fall away from God, and that's the worst thing that a Christian could, could ever face, why do we sin? Why don't we repent? Right? Because of the second reason. Sin is not just destructive. Sin is deceptive. You see, the thing about sin is that sin doesn't come into our lives like, like a flashing neon light, self-pronouncing itself, I'm sin, I'm really bad, I'm horrible, you know, please accept me into your life. Sin comes quietly, disguised as a lesser evil than it is. Something that we might excuse or easily hide. Right? The devil is full of lies and, and half-truths. Right? He doesn't say, I'm going to tempt you and I want you to die. He says, did God really say? That's not that bad. It's okay. Everyone does this. Right? C.S. Lewis in his book, The Screwtape Letters, it's a book about like, where demons are talking. And one of the demons in his book says this, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. What he's saying is that the road to hell and down towards sin is, is, is deceptive. We don't, we don't know. It just feels like a comfortable, wide road. Right? There's no signs that says this is bad. It doesn't say this is sin. Right? We just go down this easy path satisfying right, the sinful flesh, and before we know it, we've taken many steps away from God. See, sin comes and it attacks these two areas of our lives. You might have heard me say this before. Sin comes and it attacks our weak spots, and we each have weak spots, areas of temptation that's hard for us to resist. Right? For each of us, it's different. Some of us, we struggle with lust. Some of us, it's money. Some of us, it's pride. Some of us, uh, some of us it's self-glory. Right? We all have kind of different weak spots. It's like food. Some of us, it's like you dangle chocolate in front of you, and you're like, oh, you know, I'm just going to start my diet tomorrow. Right? And you can't resist. You have to take a bite. Or maybe it's ice cream. Right? Maybe it's pizza. Maybe it's something fried. We all have our weak spots. We know it's bad in a sense, but we just can't resist. We have those kind of temptations in our lives that when the enemy dangles it in front of us, we can't resist. We, we, it's so hard for me, particularly in this area, to say no. And we all have one. And sin loves to come and attack us in those areas. You know, what we tend to do after a while is when we give in and give in and give in, is that we try to decide with our hearts, but then justify it with our minds. And so we give in to that sin because of our, our hearts want it. That, that evil, the, the imperfect heart wants it, but then we say, that wasn't that bad. Or, you know, I don't know if the Bible really, that's a gray area of the Bible. Or everyone does it and we justify it with our minds when really it is evil, right? And that's a part of our hardening of our hearts. But sin doesn't just come attack our weak spots, it comes and it attacks our blind spots. And you know what a blind spot is, right? A blind spot is a kind of area where you cannot see. When you're driving and you're in the natural seated position, you can see a lot of areas with the mirrors, but there's a blind spot over here. You cannot see it. Right in our lives, we have blind spots. You know, the back of your head, that's a blind spot. 
You know, I might have told this story. One day I went and got a haircut because I had a wedding that I was going to officiate. I tried to time it so that, you know, I get the haircut about a week before the wedding because I don't want to ruin the photos, right? I don't really care what my hair looks like, but, you know, I'm going to be in the photos because I'm officiating, so I just want to cut it so it's not too bad. And I went and got a haircut, and I was like, as I was getting the haircut, I was like, oh, a little bit short. A little bit short, but I think it's all right. It's all right. And I got home, and the first thing when I stepped into the door, <laughs> my wife, Eunice, she's like, what happened to your hair? I'm like, what? What do you mean? I'm like, it's not that bad. And she's like, she said, bend over. I want to take a photo, right? And this is the photo that she got. And this is what my hair looked like. And I don't know if you can tell, but you know at the bottom, it's meant to be really short. Just at the bottom, she like made the whole thing like really short. And uni, she, she has a nickname for this hair. It's the pineapple hair. Because literally, it was just like short. And I just had like a tuft of hair. And awesome, because I had a wedding coming up. <laughs> And when I saw the groom, like I saw him at church, I was like, I'm really sorry. <laughs> I'm really sorry. I didn't mean it. Anyway, I'm going to take this off. We all have blind spots. That's my blind spot, right? We all have blind spots in our lives. Right? If uni wasn't there, I wouldn't have known. I would just live my life not knowing that my hair was horrendous. People, everyone else around me would have seen it, would have laughed at it, maybe comment about it. Everyone would have known except me. We all have that in our lives. Right? I'm not just talking about our hair, character flaws, right? areas that, you know, um, that we sin and we don't know it's sin, uh, whether it's worldviews, the way that we use our language. You know, everyone knows that uh, you're impatient, except you. And then someone brings it up and you're like, really? I'm very patient. Right? Like, no, no, no. Everyone knows. It's your blind spot. But everyone knows that the way that you use your, your, your tone of voice is not loving. It just seems like you're always angry. Maybe your face look, looks angry. You don't know. Everyone knows, right? And, and unless someone points it out, you will never know. Right? And so sin, it hardens our hearts. And it's dangerous because it's destructive and it's deceptive. And unless we do something about the sin and the evil and the unbelief in our hearts, the road that we will end up going down is one where we'll fall away from God. So what is the solution? This is where community comes in. We need community to surround us, to see into our lives, and then to speak into our lives. So here's the second last point, our words. You know, if someone asked you, What's the key, most important things to stay strong as a Christian, to make sure that your love for Jesus is burning with passion? Most likely, we would say the first two sermons of this series, read your Bible and pray. But I don't know if we'd often say community. If we would put community right up there as essential as the word and prayer. But when you look at the scriptures, community is so important. We were made for community. Right? When Adam was in the garden before sin, and he had a perfect relationship with the Father, but they had a perfect fellowship, God still looked at Adam and said, it's not good. There's something not right, even though you have me, and it's because you don't have people. Right? And so he made Eve for Adam. Right? Our relationship with God is the most important relationship that we have in this world, but we were also made for each other. Right, so verse 12 to 13, let me just read it through. 
Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But, here's the answer, exhort one another every day. As long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Right, let me break apart that start of verse 13. Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today. What are we called to do? We're called to exhort. Exhortation is basically speaking into someone's life to warn them or encourage them, to remind them, maybe rebuke them. And if the word of God and the truth of God's word were to frame what you say, that's biblical rebuke, right? That's, that, I mean, that's biblical exhortation, right? That's godly exhortation. So going back to that image of us trying to finish this race and we're running, right? you're speaking to each other as we run this race. And depending on the person and what they're doing, you would say something different, right? If the person next to you is running well, you'd encourage them. You'd say, great job, Paul, right? You've got a good pace or like, you know, you're running well, you know, <laughs> great Christian. If they're slowing down, you'd say something else like, hey, pick up your pace. Or are you okay? Is something wrong? Right? If there's a tripping hazard in front of them, you'd say, well, watch out for that thing. You're running straight toward it. Or if they're totally off direction, right? they're looking at the skies and not even running, you'd rebuke them. And you'd remind them why they're here. We're running this race for the glory of God. Right? We're trying to love the king, live his way. What are you doing? Right? That is exhortation. Seeing into someone's life and speaking into someone's life. And this is vital. This is essential in the Christian life. Check your heart. Make sure there's no evil unbelief. Make sure sin is not hardening it. Sin is deceptive. Weak spots and blind spots. And because there's weak spots and because there's blind spots, you need people. Because we cannot fight the weak spots by ourselves. We need someone to help us and be there for us. Because we have blind spots, we need someone to see the areas that we cannot see ourselves. And we need community in our lives. So that's what we do, we exhort. But who does this exhortation? The passage says, but exhort one another. Everyone is doing this exhortation. One another is like, I'm doing it, and you're all exhorting, and they're exhorting them, and you're exhorting them, right? Everyone. Exhortation is not the role of a single person. You know, sometimes we can think that it's the pastor's job to speak into our lives. Well, right now, I'm doing a form of exhortation. I'm speaking into your life. And sometimes we think that's the pastor's job. And I need them because they're the pastor, um, maybe holier than everyone. They need to speak into my life. And anyone else, ah, what do you know? I need the pastor to speak into my life. But that is not the biblical model. And that is not a practical model. Right? There is no way that I can know every single one of you and know what's going on in your life and be able to speak into your life. There have been, um, through my years as a pastor, um, people who have left the churches that I'm at because they felt like I wasn't in their life enough to exhort their life directly enough. And I just don't think that's the biblical or practical model. It, it just doesn't work. That is too much of an expectation for one person to do or three pastors to do or even for your growth group leader to do in your growth group. 
The model that God gives us is the church is exhorting each other. That's you exhorting someone else in your life. That's the growth group exhorting one another. And not just the leader to be speaking into everyone's life, but each of us seeing and speaking into each other's lives. That's the biblical and practical model. Because no one can be in everyone's life, but everyone can be in someone's life. No one, me, cannot be in everyone's life, but everyone can be in someone's life, and that's the biblical model. Every one of us in someone's life or a few people's lives and speaking into it. And that's what we want to have as a, a church, a culture where we are exhorting one another. So when do we do it? Now, what we do is exhort. Who does it? Everyone does it. When do we do it? Every day. Exhort one another every day. Christian life can't be compartmentalized and relegated to one day of the week. Sunday is a day where I'm going to sit down and someone's going to speak into my life and that's enough. It's going to last me for the whole week. That's not how it works. Because sin doesn't come at you once a week. Temptation doesn't knock at your door once a week. The devil doesn't say, oh, it's not Sunday, I'll leave you alone. We are harassed by the world and the enemy and temptation every single day. The moment we wake up and until we lay our heads at bed, we are surrounded by temptation. And so we need exhortation all the time. Right, the Christian needs this. Right, if you look at Acts chapter 2, right, the early church met day by day. They went to the temple day by day, every day. And they'd meet for fellowship and the breaking of bread, devotion to the teachings and to prayer. Right? They're doing this life together every day. We need some sort of exhortation every day. And you know what? It's hard right now. It's hard. We can't all gather. It's tough. A lot of us are online. You know, this is the time where we need to especially fight for this. Because we are kind of being forced into greater isolation and disconnection from each other. And that means we need to try even more to be connected. And even more to have voices of others into my life and that my voice is speaking into other people's lives. At the end of the day, this is a call to community. Right? That's what exhortation every day. That it, it's someone else in my life and, and someone else that I'm speaking to. It's church being together. And this is the third essential element required in the Christian life for our hearts to burn and keep burning passionately for Jesus. And if you go to that analogy of fire, technically, you don't need covering to have fire, do you? You need the wood, that's the word. You need air, that's prayer. And if you put a spark into just wood and air, it will start. It will burn. And maybe if you have enough wood and have enough air, it will actually burn pretty brightly. And that's the same with the Christian life. You don't really need community to be passionate for Jesus. It can be me in my room with the word and prayer and just reading the word and speaking to Jesus. I can be really passionate for Jesus. That's true. But like in real life, if you have a fire with no covering, it's only a matter of time when something outside of it, like a gust of wind, will come and threaten the fire. 
Threaten to dismantle what you've built. Threaten to blow it out completely. And in the Christian's life, you can try to do it yourself and you might get to a place where you are passionate for Jesus with the word and prayer. But it's only a matter of time when something outside of you will come and attack you. Where the devil will come and try to tempt you. Where life will throw you a trial, a season of suffering. And if you try to do it by yourself and you have no community to cover you, your fire will wane. It will shake, maybe dismantle, it might blow out. That is why we need the covering of community. We need people to surround us, to protect us, to have our back. And when we don't have the strength to go to the Word, and we don't have the motivation to pray that they will surround us and they will speak to us God's Word, adding to us what we cannot do, right? Fuel to the fire. And they will pray over us, praying the prayers that we cannot pray, stirring up the fire of our hearts. That is the essential element of community. And we need it eventually down the track. God has ordained that you, you, and your words will be one of the key means that he will use to make sure the people around you don't leave the faith. God wants to use you and your words. It's not just the guy on the stage, on the pulpit, saying something once a week. It's what you say tomorrow and Tuesday, Wednesday. That exhortation matters so much. To encourage, to warn, to rebuke. Exhort, that's speaking God's word to them, to intercede, that's speaking to God on behalf of them, right, and to see and speak into their lives. And if there's a place where we can have all of it together, wouldn't that be great? A place where there's community and there's the word and prayer and in that community we're talking about the Bible and we're praying for one another, wouldn't that be awesome? Oh, oh, you know what opened for sign-ups this week? I didn't plan this, but it just happened to be that we opened for sign-ups this week, growth groups, right? The, 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 the plan of God. Right? Growth groups is that. It's a place where smaller groups of people will get together midweek to open up the word, to talk about it, right? to share what's going on in our lives and to pray for one another. And that kind of interaction of the word and prayer and community all happening That is the desire of growth groups, word, prayer, community. Now, growth groups isn't the solution. It's just one part of community. It's an important part, but it is just one part of it. So if you're not in a growth group or you haven't signed up, maybe you can sign up. But at the same time, you know, I want us to grow both deep and wide relationships at Kingsway, whatever that looks like. You know, to a degree, we need deep relationships the select few, our closest friends, um, you know, the three, four, five, accountability partners maybe. Maybe it could be your growth group. And we want deep relationships where we can be really raw and honest and meet often and talk often. But at the same time, Kingsway is our church. This is our faith family. And I'd love for us to keep also not just building deep relationships, but wide relationships. Now, at the size that we are, we should know everyone or we should aim for that. And I know lockdown has made that really hard, and so ignoring lockdown, if lockdown and you know, isolation didn't exist, 
you know, I'd really encourage us, fight for this. Because you know, we're only at maybe 100. We should be able to look around and say, I, I know that person, not deeply, but genuinely. And I know that person, I know that person. Right? That's what I want us to get to, wide. So that when there is an event, that you can sign up without worrying, or oh, is that one or two or three people that I know going to be there? And I think the importance of wide relationships is this. People that you have a deep relationship with and you see all the time can see certain things that other people can't. At the same time, people who see you once in a while can also see things that other people can't. You know, when I uh, see Reuben, because I see him every day, it doesn't seem like much is changing. You know, whether it's his growth, his voice, his behavior. But there are people that see him once in a while and every time they say, or when I see, you know, your kids once in a while, I'm like, they've grown so much. Whoa, their voice has changed. They look so different. And the parents are like, oh, really? I didn't notice. You didn't notice because you were too close. And when people see from a distance, there are some things that they can notice. And I think it'd be beautiful you go to that event and you, there's a handful of people that you haven't spoken to maybe for a while, but you trust them and you have a relationship with them. And they see you because they haven't seen you maybe for a few months. They can notice the big changes in your life and maybe encourage you in them. Or maybe there are warning signs that they can notice that other people can't. Right? So I think wide relationships are important, especially because we are the church. And so let me close. This is where we've been. We're meant to take care and check our hearts because it's a big warning. If you don't get this right, you might fall away from God. And what you need to check and take care of is check your heart and make sure your heart isn't of the kind of heart that is evil and faithless that is leading you in a direction towards sin. Because if you go down that direction, it will affect you. Sin is destructive. It will harden you more from God And sin is deceptive. It'll come at you in your weak and blind spots. And so we need community. We need people to see into our lives, to speak into our lives. God has called you to exhort every day, right? Every one of us exhorting every day. And so the challenge is this, as I close. I have two things that I want to challenge you with. One is very general. The first is be vulnerable, Right? I think as I look at Kingsway, and something I'd want to see more over the years is that we are just more vulnerable and honest about what's going on in our lives. I don't know if it's a part of our culture, you know, Asian for a lot of us, Korean, the shame culture where we don't want to share the failures that we've had. But I think it'd be awesome is if we were able to just generally speaking, not just in the deep relationships, but in the wide relationships, be more vulnerable honest about our struggles, honest about our weaknesses, and sometimes even honest about our failures, right, with wisdom. Right? You don't share everything with everyone, but with wisdom. You know, paradoxically, the more perfect we pretend to be, the less perfect we'll actually end up being. Right? The more perfect we pretend to be, we will limit the sanctification in our lives, right? the, the, the growth Because again, we were made for community. We need to be honest about our struggles. We need to be honest about our failures. Because it is then that we are allowing people into our lives to see into my life and then to speak into it. 
People need to know you to a certain degree to know your weak spots and blind spots. So that means we need to be vulnerable. Right? Ironically, the more honest you are about your imperfections, the more perfect that you will grow to become. Right? It's backwards. We need to be honest about our struggles, and in that place, God will work through the exhortation of people. But the second challenge, and this is the more practical one, is what are we going to do through January? Now, the first thing we did was read Philippians 10 minutes every day, and we're just going to keep doing that. I said last week, if you're doing it and you've read through it a certain amount of times, um, maybe you want to take it slower, and you want to take a verse or a few verses and ask these three questions, right? What, so what, now what? Right? If you don't know what that is, maybe you can listen to the end of last week's sermon. It's up on podcasts or YouTube. Um, but, you know, keep reading that. Now, for me, at least, I think this week, like, I'm noticing things that I didn't notice, you know, the previous week. I added to that prayer, one minute of prayer, right? It's very easy. Just stick it on at the end, maybe. Um, just pray through what you've read, And as we uh, conclude this series, this is through January, I just want to encourage us to exhort someone every day. Um, Just as you read your word, as you pray, it might be what you read. It doesn't have to be. Just think about, is there someone I can encourage? Is there someone I can reach out to? Is there someone where, you know, this um, is relatable to. Now, we need to be careful because you don't want to, after every you know, time you read the word, be like, you know, <laughs> you need this, right? And, and Bible bash people, like, you know, just be wise. Uh, maybe if you don't have anyone to exhort, uh, maybe you're new to Kingsway, uh, maybe you can't do this. And the first step is, you know, building relationships. Now, what can I do to get to this place where I can be exhorting people and where people can be exhorting me? And it might be just to reach out to someone and say, how are you going? Right? It might be just to continue you know, this conversation chat that you have with someone at Kingsway. It doesn't even have to be someone at Kingsway. Right? But we were made to exhort someone every day. Right? Or maybe uh, you can sign up to growth groups. Um, but whatever it is, right? we were made for these three things. And just through January, we want to do this. If you haven't been doing any of these things, that's okay. You can start this week. Right? We're halfway through January. You know, let's finish the, the rest of this half of the month well. But these are the things we need. And I believe, I really believe if we can do this well, the word is the word, prayer is the air, and community as our covering, our love and passion for Jesus, right? It's up to the Holy Spirit, but, you know, all things being equal, we'll burn for Jesus. We'll be passionate for Jesus, and we will love him. Now, God will do what he wants. We go through ups and downs, but these are the elements we need to have the right environment for it. And so I really want to encourage us Let's do this, not just through January, but through the rest of 2022, right? Let's close our eyes and let's pray. As we pray, I want all of us, whether we say we're Christians or not, to check our hearts. Because today's passage is really one of those that we need to pay attention complete attention to. You know, the warning is that, you know, we might fall away from God. And, you know, technically, if you're a Christian, that's impossible. But one of the means that God uses to make sure that doesn't happen is verses like this. That you would hear this, that you would check your heart, and if you are turning to sin, you would repent and come back to Him. But I want us all to check our hearts, come before God, turn toward Him, Maybe say sorry for some of the things that we've thought or that we've done. 
and then commit ourselves again to Him, that we would you know, hear from Him through His Word, that we would engage with Him in prayer, but also maybe you would commit yourself to this community. You know, we were made for one another, and we were made to do this life with the support of fellow believers, speaking into my life and for me to speak into theirs. So let's commit ourselves to God and let's commit ourselves to one another at this time. Let's pray.